cliffcentral.com. You're listening to The Bounce Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen, and it's on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ben Karpinski on cliffcentral.com. Good morning, good morning, hello, hello, wherever you are listening to this, whether it's on podcast or live, welcome to the live listener, which is you, on a Thursday, the 18th of May, getting into this autumn, which i got to say, I mean, is autumn even a season? Basically, I am of the opinion it goes from good winter to bad winter into, oh good, it's summer, it's sorry, it's winter again. Um, right, so today, we're going to get straight into a special guest, and normally I crap on about what's happening in sport for a good 10 minutes or so. I do still have some weekend recaps, and I still want to talk about the football, the rugby, uh, cheaper, there's quite a lot to get through. There was Maria Sharapova getting snubbed by the French Open. There is, um, I found a guy called Greg Popovich, who is this NBA coach guy now, he was an ex-player, but he gives some of the best interviews you ever heard, mostly because he uses like three or four words. And then I found some old uh, Aussie rules commentary through my Aussie mate Dennis. So, you know, sometimes I always have a good go about the fact that commentary is so bland and boring here in South Africa, well, for most sports actually, and people who are just basically doing a job bringing us these links. So I always love bringing you the more colorful side of these things. And uh, today I've got some absolute buttes, but that'll be towards the end of the show because my guest is already here sitting in studio. It's Jennifer Hintenberger. Now, if you haven't heard of her, it means you, had, you don't exercise enough. I think that's going to be a fair comment. Um, Jennifer is a world record holder. Now, the Arnold Classic recently, uh, well, I, mean, I think I brought you about 60 different sports that people were doing amazing things in. So Jennifer does things with kettlebells, but that's just one element of her. She's also someone who had a massive transformation sort of earlier in her life where she chose exercise being a way forward. It changed who she was and changed what she does. So she's got more than just the story of how you're going to get a six-pack. Jennifer, hello, good morning. Hello, good morning. Okay, great. Now, I'm always so nervous when people sit in these positions because I don't normally run the desk from here. But here you are. You're on the mic. I haven't cocked that up. Yep, so um, I got an email a couple of weeks ago from – I get quite a few mails from people saying, would you like to interview my client or we're doing this event, You know, can we get on your show kind of stuff. The answer is 99% no, mostly because it's like, oh, how am I ever going to make the half an hour out of that or – how am I going to make that interesting? So I'm um, sorry, PR agency. I don't mean to come across as that guy, but there are just some better stories out there than not. Jennifer, your story is is rather interesting. Firstly, where, where are you from? Where are you based now? Because judging from your competitions, you are all over the world. But w- where do you call home? Uh, Canada. So I'm from Canada and home is Canada. I just haven't been there in five months since December. Okay. So born, raised. Yeah, Canada through and through. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to quote a cliche, you know what cold weather's all about. Oh, do I ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, your website, first of all, very good place to start with you. You've got a great bio there. Um, kettlebells, we'll get into that in a bit, because firstly, I want to know what made you, gra- what gravitated you towards kettlebells. These things are not easy in the beginning. Like most people, when they want to get into good shape or get into an exercise, that's not quite what they go for, especially kids. But now you... 
your story was that you got to a position where you weren't happy with your body, your appearance, that kind of stuff, and you decided there was going to be a change. Um, so from a sporting background as such, like your growing up process, were you against sport? Were you just not into it? No. Uh, was it just not like a stimulation towards it? No, I was always into sport. That's the thing is I just didn't understand nutrition. So um, I played, you know, from 4 to 14, those childhood years, I played soccer 10 years straight. I was a figure skater for those 10 years. Okay. And then, yeah, and then in high school, I was um, playing volleyball, rugby, basketball, badminton. I played, played all the rugby. main sports. Yes, I actually played um, rugby was my main sport. So. Um, I played three years in high school and then I went on to play five years university and I also played provincially for Ontario. So I was quite good at rugby and the sports that I played. It's just I was a really big girl. Because <laughs> I was looking at pictures here from you and like, I mean, obviously I, I couldn't match the, match you today with you on those years. How, mm-hmm. how old were you when you were, say, at your biggest, so to speak? At my biggest would have been actually, probably when I opened my gym, which was around 27 years old. So... 36 now, <laughs> about eight, oh, wow. nine years ago, I guess I was my biggest. Okay. So like, what was the, what was the big thing? And the reason I ask you this is because a lot of people get to a point in their lives where, I mean, winter's a, a time where this becomes quite prevalent. <laughs> a lot of people get to a point when they go, okay, I really need to make a change. Like something has to happen now. I'm not going on just some quick fix sort of diet. I'm actually going to make a proper change. When was that point in your life? For me, I had to get really sick and that's where I feel like I really do believe everything happens for a reason in life. And for me, I feel that, you know, I had a lot of health conditions and a lot of issues that I could have looked at and thought, why me? You know, I'm 20 something years old. I am an athlete, a relatively good athlete. I trained six to seven days a week. I was a personal trainer when I was that big even, but oh wow, yeah. And so I knew the fitness side really, really well. I just didn't understand the nutrition side and I became sick in my early twenties. I, had all kinds of symptoms from, um, you know, I had three stomach ulcers. I had a hiatal hernia. My esophagus was eroding. I had all kinds of gastrointestinal issues, distension, yeah, I, I can pain. see where the natural why me comes into you it. You know, this right. Is, yeah. And then I this ended up... a hard up, luck tale of note. Oh, yeah. And it's really long and involved. But I ended up being diagnosed with stage three kidney disease, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, I had all kinds of conditions and it was a long process to be diagnosed because a lot of symptoms overlap. And so I went through this huge process of seeing, I don't even know, 20, 30, 40 doctors in Canada. And then eventually in the Philippines, I'd been there personal training. I went into emergency and those doctors did, ran all kinds of tests on me and were like, told me those conditions I had. And, yeah. um, then that's where I was introduced to learning how to heal the body through nutrition. It was the doctors in the Philippines that said, listen, in Canada, you'd likely undergo a number of surgeries for certain conditions I had, but we want to figure out what's causing these problems instead of just treating the symptoms with medication and surgery. And so that started my journey towards understanding that food can create disease or it can heal your body and really... All right, go to the third world, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> but it must have been kind of frustrating. Like, you know, you don't want to be someone's test subject. You don't want all this attention around what's wrong with you. You want to know how you can make yourself better. Do you find that also didn't really help, you know, because getting in shape and becoming like this whole change you want to see a lot of us around positivity and that must have been so difficult if people are telling you well you've got this well this is what's going to hinder you i mean like you must have got to a stage where you're tired of that as well oh there was a point where uh it sounds kind of crazy but um my younger brother had cancer so he had cancer for five years uh leukemia from 19 to 25 and um watching him is probably what helped me because i think 
knowing that I had to be strong for him made me strong for myself. And that in turn kept me in a positive place. I had those moments of being ready. Like, I don't feel like I'm living. So what's the point? Right. You know, but then I would just kind of look towards the fight that he was doing on his own and know that what are my options? Either I feel bad for myself and I continue to get more and more sick or I slowly try to figure things out on my own. So personal training, you said you were personal training already through this phase. When did you start doing that then? I was personal training. uh, So I did my first degree, bachelor's in kinesiology, um, early 20s. So I would have been maybe 21, 22. Okay. Mm -hmm. And just, just to kind of get an understanding. So you're saying that, you know, because you were always so sporty, it was very difficult to you. Nutrition was something that obviously was part of your life back then. But what were the big changes that you made then from what you knew uh, to, to post the, the, the Philippine epiphany, so to speak? Right. What, what were some of the big sort of catalysts as far as nutrition from there? Yes, that's a great question because as an athlete, I did have my coaches telling me the usual stuff. At least in Canada, they're still on the whole, okay, we've got a big game tomorrow. You've got a carb load tonight. Get in your pastas and blah, blah, blah. So that's the kind of... Um, nutrition that I was practicing at the time when I was in high school and then university as a personal trainer, they were teaching about high protein, low fat, low carbs. And so I did that. Um, so my typical diet would be waking up and having egg whites with, you know, um, different types of vegetables and then, right. Yeah. It was always like (laughs) egg white frittatas or egg white oatmeal pancakes. A lot of people in the fitness industry, they know this type of diet. And then other meals would be salmon or chicken with broccoli or salad. And it was just, and and did you have to weigh all that? To make, to make yeah, sure you had the right. Of course, yes. Everyone's wow. got their scale. That's just expected. And so I lived like that, and um, that's when I became really, really toxic. So uh, one of the biggest things, there's two things that changed. One was not focusing so much on protein because there's a huge protein push in the fitness industry. And um, uh, Yeah, it's everywhere. I mean, you get the impression that if you're not on full protein then you're never going to get gains. You're never going to be lean. That's right. It's impossible to have muscle without protein. So what I learned um, from one doctor was he said uh, he would speak in front of others and he would say, okay, so listen, do you know someone who knows someone with heart disease? And everyone would put their hands up. Who knows someone who has diabetes? Hands all go up. Who knows someone with high cholesterol, cancer? Hands up, hands up. Who knows someone with protein deficiency? And nothing. Wow, like, yeah. You know, and you that, really hit a lot. Right? And that really struck a chord in me because I was nervous when I was diagnosed with kidney disease. They were like, okay, stage four is dialysis, and then stage five is renal failure. And dialysis meant I was going to be spending hours every day in a, in a hospital, you know, having um, apheresis, like blood transfusions or whatnot, getting blood cleaned. And I thought, well, I don't want to live like that, so what can I do? And they said to take it easy on my kidneys, which meant decreasing protein. As a personal trainer, I'm freaking out. What am I going to do? I'm not going to grow muscle. But then I learned about that, and I thought, okay, I'm going to – I actually became vegan. So you do know that I run a nutrition program, and um, there is this – Well, again, like going back to your website as a start point, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I know there is. And so a lot of people worry because I'm vegan that my program is, but it's not. It's – I definitely welcome everybody to eat meat and eggs and all this and whatnot on it, but I don't – I just am not crazy about telling people they need to have obscene amounts of it because um, I learned this through my own experience. So anyhow, I stopped eating animal-based proteins because uh, they're supposed to be more difficult on my kidneys and because they were damaged, I stopped doing that to allow them to heal. And the way that I monitored how 
I was doing as far as protein was people say that protein is related to your muscle mass, your strength gains, your hair, your nail growth, sure. et cetera. And so as long as that continued to improve, then I didn't really obsess about it. And so it's now been eight years vegan, two years, 10 years total because I was vegetarian for two years. And my gains in weightlifting, which is definitely a good way to monitor strength progress, yeah, have imagine only you, ever to... progressed. Yeah, they've only ever progressed. So first thing was not emphasizing on protein. And the other one that I learned in the Philippines and now everyone in the world hears about is just learning about what your food intolerances are or food sensitivities. So the major ones like gluten, dairy, Obviously, not eating sugar and crap like that. Yeah, well, sugar's crack. I mean, I yeah. think no, no, no matter what you're what you bring into the party, body wise, I think we can all just all decide that one. But it's yeah. interesting what you said because people forget that um, all our organs have a certain sort of role to play, right? And the kidneys are so vital. I mean, those things are fantastic. If you don't have those working well, like you say, I remember um, John Lomu. Obviously, you know rugby, so that guy who was a freak of nature. I mean, he was like the Concord of rugby players. Right. He was ahead of his time. Nothing's ever been like that ever since. His kidneys packed up completely. The guy was on dialysis for so long. Right. Towards, I mean, he just went from this colossus into nothing. People were saying that maybe he had too much protein growing up. Maybe his kidneys were shot because of that. But to understand these things, and I believe we all have these issues, right? I believe most of us are lactose intolerant. People don't understand this, but I, I really do believe that we're all eating a lot of the, the wrong stuff. But what you say about the kidneys is so interesting. And the fact that you know, piling on protein is pretty much going to be the worst thing. Now, I am curious about all these things. And mm-hmm. I often do my own fitness challenges. And I'm always trying different things nutritionally. I I tried to be a vegan for three months. Yes. It was difficult for me. Um, you know, it's just getting back to like it works for you. And you don't say everyone must do it, which is great. Right. Because everyone is a bit different. Like, I love the fact that I tried veganism, though, because it made me understand food. Now, on the back of that, I realized I should be eating um, animal-based proteins because I'm quite slender and I waste away quite quickly. Right. So that didn't help me. But it made me understand that. It's all within uh, reason, I guess. But the idea of um, supplements. Now... As a vegan, do you still take supplements? Do you use the pea-based protein, that kind of stuff? Is it something you still have in your life or do you not even have a need for that? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's been an interesting process for me. Um, so because once again, with the protein focus, a lot of people ask me that right away. They're like, okay, so you're vegan. So that means that you're getting your proteins from soy or nuts, seeds, chickpeas, lentils, legumes, all of this. And to be honest, I don't use, I don't use, usually use protein powders. Um, I don't eat a lot of tofu or tempeh. I nuts and seeds and beans, they all bother my stomach. So oh, wow. I don't, yeah, I don't like, I eat them from here to there, like time to time. Say last night I had some chickpeas in my salad because someone made it for me and it was awesome. But if I were to eat chickpeas on a regular basis, my stomach's not a fan. So I just don't do it and I don't really worry about it too much. Um, yeah. If I do use a every now and then, if I feel like adding a protein powder to my green smoothies, that's what I'm big into is, is smoothies because I'm right. all about um, anti-inflammatory nutrition. So doing things to decrease the inflammation that I'm creating through training. Sorry, um, just get a little bit close to the mic there. Oh, yeah. I'm too far. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So every time, if I do, I use a raw, like 100% brown rice protein of course because you get the brown rice proteins as well so when you first started this i mean how difficult was it to go from not only are you used to eating all these proteins but we become indoctrinated to it so like 
did you get to a breaking point where things just became easier or was it a bit of a struggle for you? Oh, honestly, it was a huge struggle. There were times that I cried because it was so hard. So when I hear people, and I was a food addict. So if I were to have a pizza, order a large pizza, (laughs) excuse me, it was for me. Mm. Like I would order another one for my friends or whatever, because that's how much I ate. If I had toast in the morning, it meant I'm having a loaf of toast, not two slices or three. Like I had a legit food addiction. So when I work with people nowadays and they're saying, I can't live without my bread, I can't live without pasta. And so on. I'm like, yes, you can. It's not going to be easy. But once you get past, like you said, that breaking point, I don't have cravings ever. And I would wake up in the middle of the night, 2, 3, 4 a.m. And if I thought, you know, I wanted Reese's peanut butter cups, I would not be able to go back to sleep. So I'd get in my car and go get them. And then I'd grab usually, some, you know, a couple liters of ice cream and mm-hmm. some cookies and so on. So then I'd come home and binge eat all night. Uh, like food absolutely controlled me at one point in so my you life. You still have to guilt exercise on top of that. Yes. And then <laughs> that's right. And that's a legit disorder too. That's actually yeah. considered a, another form of eating disorder in addition to bulimia and anorexia is um, uh, binge exercising or over exercising. And like you said, it's out of guilt. It's, it's, um, it's exercise bulimia as another term that they use it. So you binge and then instead of purge, you binge and then overtrain. And so I definitely had this problem. Um, but yeah, so it was really difficult at first because I was used to those things and going to events were really difficult, you know, oh, family gatherings and, and your friends are See, used to you. That's probably the reason why I couldn't do the whole vegan thing because I'd go to events, these trays would come by and you'd be going, oh, okay, there's dairy, there's meat, there's, I mean, basically celery. Yeah. Because they, they don't ever cater for that kind of stuff, you know, so it's like someone's going to walk out with a vegan tray. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. I mean, if anything, we usually get vet fruit and vegetable trays. but So then you develop skills to prepare for that so you're not miserable. So if I'm on my way to an event, I know like I'll eat right before I get there so that I'm not worried about food. And then, you know, maybe I'll have a glass of wine or something to occupy me so that I'm still enjoying myself, but not fixated okay, so you, on the you food. You still drink a little bit of alcohol then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so how, how quick was the progress as far as it was difficult. It was drastic as far as your change in nutrition. So when did the weight sort of like fall off? Was it, was it pretty quick? Was it quite a quick transition? Uh, I would say that, so say my heaviest was around 200 pounds. I think that's like 90 kilos or so. Yeah, it's like mid nineties. Yeah. I should do the math on that. Um, so I would say the first 30 pounds, and once again, I don't know kilos, it's but 30 to 35 kilograms are right there. I think. Yeah. The first half brought me down to 165 pounds and, um, once I was at that weight, that was my goal. I thought, so right now I weigh around 132. And when I got to 165, I was really happy because I, I never thought I'd be 165. And so I was super excited. And then it just became about, because I'd been so sick, um, it, it, that's was my changing point, right? It wasn't about weight loss from 14 until, you know, my mid twenties, my obsession with weight loss was because I wanted to look better. Yeah. It was when I got sick. It wasn't what, looks was never quite enough. You know, it's enough to get you going, but I don't find it was, it's enough for myself or the people that I work with to keep you going. Once it becomes about health, then you're going to stick to changes. And so I lost that weight because I'd been sick and then I had found kettlebell sport along the way. And then it became about, I want to be a better athlete. So if I compete, say in two months, these next eight weeks, this training has to be good. Every single session has to count. So if I binge eat tonight, or if I eat some wheat and my stomach's all bloated, that's going to affect how I'm able to lift, how I'm able to train. And then I'm not going to do as well as I could in my competition. It kind of keeps you on track though, because you know, you're not just, like you say, you're not just exercising to look better. You've actually got a physical goal here and doing this makes you better at what you really love. 
Mm-hmm. So did you find that when you were becoming in better shape, your desire for exercise then grew because now you know you're capable of more? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's always this sort of personal game with yourself. When you realize how much you can do, you kind of think, hmm, never thought I could do that. What else can I do? Exactly. It triggers- you keep pushing these boundaries that yeah. you, you kind of you know impose on yourself. But what made you go to kettlebell sports, though? Because for a lot of people listening to this, firstly, what's a kettlebell and kettlebell sports? Like, right. It's quite obscure. Yes. I just want to say real quick with the rest of that weight loss, mm. it was one, it was like one pound every two months or one pound a month for oh, years. Okay. So people who think, you know, they hit a plateau and they should quit. If you focus on your health, maybe the next 30 took me two years, but I'm down another 30 pounds and I'm at a healthy body weight. So it's and, worth it. And that's the thing. It's, it's gradual. It's not like some quick thing that's just going to happen. And then, you know, that's how you keep it off. At least then it's progressing. That's right. And now it's been off for years and it's no longer a concern. Is it going to come back? I mean, there's always that little bit. But well, I mean, obviously yeah. everyone's got a slight thing, but you know <laughs> what's possible and yeah. that's not coming back. You're yeah. not coming back to that. That's right. So kettlebell sports. Mm-hmm. Tell well, us about um, what drew you to it and a little bit more about, because I mean, you're a world champion in a whole bunch of things, right? You compete around the world in kettlebell sports. Yes. Which makes you a kettlebell professional athlete, it essentially. Does? Yeah, that's, that's quite a title. I mean, at a dinner party, that's going to turn some heads. <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting conversation. It's not the most usual sport. Uh, kettlebell sport accident. I actually came across um, accidentally. I opened a gym in Canada, and uh, I learned how to use kettlebells in Australia. I was doing my master's degree there in um, teaching biology and phys ed, and a gentleman there introduced me to kettlebells. I'll skip. A few chapters. I opened my gym in Canada using kettlebells because I knew it was a hot word because they were new at the time. It was eight. Sure. They weren't new. They were hundreds of years old in Russia, but they were new in Canada. And um, of course, so they would come from Russia being such a rudimental thing. Right. Yes. And um, so I used them there and then people would come into the gym and say, OK, well, what are your kettlebell certifications? And I was like, oh, here I have my personal, you know, I've been a personal trainer for years. I've been a rugby coach for eight years. I've been an athlete my whole life. I got my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, but they want a kettlebell specific certification. So I Googled online and I found one called uh, World Kettlebell Club uh, Kettlebell Coach. And so I went to the U.S. for the weekend to take the course and I showed up and you're probably used to seeing the black kettlebells, mm, I'm guessing. Sure. Have you seen the big colorful ones? They're like red, orange, yellow. Um, I've seen different colors, but I just thought that was just someone spray painting them for. Right. So, so they stand out to you. Oh, okay. So the different colors, they're sports. So there's kettlebell they, for fitness or conditioning, the black bells. And okay. those, that's usually called a hard style training. And then the kettlebell sport has all of these, the big bells that are colorful and the colors represent the weight. So red bells, for example, are always 32 kilograms. Yellow is 16 kilograms. Okay, I'm, I've got a video of you with these things as a reference. Okay, cool. Gotcha. Yeah. So those are sport kettlebells. And uh, so I showed up at this certification in the US thinking there's going to be all the little black bells that I'm used to and I'm going to learn how to teach them better for fitness. And there's all these big, bright, colorful kettlebells. Um, and there was this girl there from Australia and she was doing this 10 minute set. So she lifted, she started lifting the kettlebell and she lifted for 10 minutes. Everybody's watching and cheering her on. And I said to the guy beside me, I'm like, what's going on right now? And then he's like, she's trying to achieve her master of sport. I'm like, what's her master of sport? And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, that's what we're here for right now. And so it was that day I had gone to a kettlebell sport certification. And that, that's how I found out that it even was a sport. And, um, 
I watched the first Australian become master of sport there, and the, her coach was the first American master of sport. And so I said to them, I said, listen, are there any Canadian master of sports? I didn't even know this was a sport. And they said, no, not not as of yet. There's one guy, Eric St. Ange, who's um, trying to go for it right now, but no one's done it yet. And so I thought, okay, can I do this? And mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, 100%. And so I hired the American coach, and she brought me to master of sport pretty quick. And then it was exactly what you said. It was what else can I do? And then it just kept going. The nice thing here is that when anything weightlifting, you always think of, of major weights. Whereas with this, you're working on like massive reps. Your personal record of a 20 kilogram snatch is 175 reps. Yes. So, like in one go, like one session. Yes. And I haven't had much. That's the one movement like I just, don't have much experience in yet. So with a 16 kilogram, I've done 242 reps. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'm just getting into the 20 kilo snatch now. I've been mostly focusing on doubles. So like, I don't know if you've seen any of me lifting two bells. Yep. But um, there's recently I did a, a world record. It was uh, clean and jerks, which means you swing it through your legs into your chest into rack position above your head. Yeah. And so I did 110 reps with two 16 kilogram bells in 10 minutes. So the sport's really interesting because like you said, it's not super heavy, but I mean, that's heavy. That's 32 kilograms that you're lifting. So you have to be strong, yeah, exactly. but then, you know, you have to have endurance because you can't put them down. You have to hold on to them for 10 minutes. And then if you want to win or if you want to break records, you have to be fast. So 11 reps a minute, that's just over five seconds per rep continuously for 10 minutes straight to get the bells from between your legs into rack position above your head back down so yeah but that's pretty amazing i know from my limited experience about um just various exercise programs i've done like this is like the holy grail of things because you get in the speed the stamina the strength and what i find interesting about this as well there's some coordination involved here now i'm i'm on a new thing now i'm gonna try get into yoga right because i, I I'm not completely uncoordinated, but when I try to do these things, I literally feel like I've just walked into my own body. And But by doing this, you're learning more about body movements as well. Now, a lot of these things, again, this is just my personal take on it. People get into a sport or they get into a movement and it doesn't work because they lose interest or they find it's too difficult after a couple of weeks. Then they go back to square one of eating lasagna on the, on the couch. <laughs> so the weight that they've lost might go back. But whereas with this, you've actually got to kind of train your body to move in a certain way. Now, is this, again, something that you believe is, is, a, is a real benefit of something like this because you're actually moving your body differently? Um, I'm not sure what you're asking. Do you mean for… So, so like a kettlebell is a sport because like we used to, when we go to sport, to gyms, right, treadmills, yeah. uh, I don't know, bike, okay. s- certain movements like a bench press or a bicep curl. I mean, these are pretty low effort things, right? Yes. Whereas with this, there's quite a lot of coordination, which then gets your body moving differently, which will get the different systems working. Yeah. No, I think it's brilliant um, because of all the things you said. So it's going to help you develop strength and speed, endurance, power, but it's also going to be really great for helping improve joint mobility. Uh, for example, I have three screws in my right shoulder and yeah, rugby and, <laughs> and, um, different types of injuries. And I train students, you know, who have full on hip replacements and, and knee issues. And so they can't do a lot of cardio that, because there's a lot of impact with jogging or jump squats or different types of things like this. So other than swimming, kettlebells gives them a chance to work with weight and still get their heart rate up, develop strength and, all of these other aspects of fitness safely. So it's really good. And another awesome thing about it is that um, it's kind of like karate. You know how karate, they have belts. They have like different color belts and you work your way up brown belt, black belt, all the way up to the top. So in kettlebell sport, you start 
um, with an eight kilogram kettlebell. It's different for men and women, but say, for example, you're a beginner, you would try to achieve um, a certain number of reps with eight kilogram, and then you get what's called a rank four. Once you achieve rank four, you move up to a 12 kilogram bell and work on rank three, and then you go to a 16 kilogram bell, ranked you know, rank two, rank one, and then it goes candidate for master of sport, master of sport, world-class master of sport. So it's super, super progressive. And unlike a lot of weighted sports where you just, you know, you can lift really heavy, so you always do. And then the next time you try to lift just a little bit more in this sport, you build the reps. So say, for example, women are also competing with two 20 kilogram kettlebells and two 24 kilogram kettlebells, but you're not going to pick up, even though maybe I can do, you know, a few minutes or say, 15, 20 reps with two 20 kilogram kettlebells. Yep, this is heavy stuff. You know, I don't even touch them until I can do 100 with two 16s. So that's how you know it's safe to move up to that next weight. Well, I think it's like safe's the key word there because when guys, I mean, I know when you go to gym, you look around, they know they can do a couple of reps with a big weight, but have they got to a point where they've actually earned the right to push that? Because that's when you see shoulders buckling. That's when you see like tendons getting hurt. Yes. I just had a photo shoot with actually um, some super experienced bodybuilders yesterday. And we were going through this um, because, well, first of all, what I really liked about this woman I was talking to was she discussed how it's same same idea as, as what I believe is just because you can lift something doesn't mean that you should. Because there was a time, for example, I was doing an event called One Arm Long Cycle where I'm doing the cleans, but just one arm, and it was 24 kilograms. I was going to ask you about that because that's another record you have, the long cycle. Yeah. So that's what it is. Yeah, so I'd been lifting, you know, for a really long time, I'd been lifting 24 kilograms. And uh, people were like, oh, well, you should lift the 28 kilogram. Why? Because you can. That's not enough reason. I need to get, I want to make sure I always get to a certain number, whether it's 100 reps or whatnot with one weight. Once I can do that comfortably, comfortably in quotations, then I'll move up to the next weight. But otherwise, I'm not going to bother because your muscles will develop a lot faster than connective tissue. And that's when people are getting issues when, you know, their their ligaments and tendons are not able to maintain and support that weight for long periods of time. And in my opinion, it's not worth it. Yeah, because this lifting is lifting. Unless you can lift it properly with technique, then you, that's not a lift. Oh, exactly. I mean, anyone can struggle a weight. So I think that's a probably a better definition. Like <laughs> I, I can struggle 100 kilograms on bench press. Right. It doesn't mean I can do five proper reps. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Uh, it's not in my best interest. Now, to get back to, um, get back to your site here, like you have 28 day ultimate body challenges. Um, this is something that's so in the, in the world we live in now with the internet. Okay. Obviously, you know, you've got your base, you've got your gym. Um, but it's now online. Is this something that you wanted to kind of create as well? You believe that because you've got such a great, uh, philosophy towards these things, you've had great results. You've got a great track record. In devising these programs, how long does it say take to do this? Because I'm always fascinated by people who have these things online, and I see it on Instagram quite a lot. And mm-hmm. my girlfriend's always looking at these things and showing me these things too. How do you devise something like that? And what what are the sort of considerations that really go into creating something you can package and give to someone? Hmm. Um, I apologize in advance. That's a very long-winded question. No. Kind of feeling out the facts as I go along there. I've never been asked that question is how did I create it? That's why I, it took me a moment. Because like what I find difficult with this is that if you've got someone out there who is just completely oblivious to all the things that you know in your head, okay, like you got to go ultra lay with these kind of things. Like uh, how, how do you devise the the wording, the packaging so that you know someone's going to get the most out of it? 
Right. Um, that was an extremely difficult process in some ways. So yeah, as you laugh. Um, but I, I think I just had to keep, and I still have to continue to keep revising my ebook and the information that I put out there. But, um, a lot of it has just been through assessing what I've learned and what works best for my students without giving too much information. Because like you said, they don't know all of my experience yeah. and what's in my head and you don't want to overwhelm someone. So I look at all of the, uh, the journey that I went on and all the things that I were told that were the least effective and the most effective. And I focus on those. So, um, the biggest, I think my challenge would be really similar in, well, not really, but a lot of it would be kind of like seeing a naturopath. So it's just taking people back to eating foods that heal the body. So, (laughs) excuse me. So, um, eliminating the major foods that just happen to, like you said, you believe that lactose is something that pretty much no one should be eating. That's Mm. something you've come to realize, I'm guessing, through your own personal experience and and reading and whatnot. And so there are certain things throughout the years that I've practiced myself and with my students that I know always make a big difference. So things like So you've got these nice fundamentals you can base things on, yeah. And so that's the biggest thing in the first 28 days. So the whole challenge is it's you take the 28 days and then after you do these major, I call them eight major food challenges, well, like no gluten and no dairy are two examples. And then there's some other ones. Some are taking things out and then others are adding things that are anti-inflammatory and it's all whole foods. So it's super simple. There's no weighing foods. There's no calorie counting. There's no supplements. There's no buying extra products, extra pills, extra powders. So I keep it as simple as possible using real food. And then past the 28 days, that's where it's even more cool. 28 days is awesome because people, I'm working with people who have spent thousands of dollars and have spent years, some decades trying to achieve certain goals, whether they're trying to lose, you know, their last 10 pounds or they're trying to lose their first 30 pounds. If they're, they've had psoriasis or eczema their entire life and mm-hmm. it clears up in 10 days. Like wow. it's so cool. Yeah. They don't well, know a time. It goes back in, to food that's going to heal your body. That's something you made very clear. That's right. And so like they don't remember a time in their life where they didn't have psoriasis and then suddenly it's gone within the very beginning. Um, people with Crohn's, uh, IBS, all different types of conditions, diabetes, and their, you know, high cholesterol and their blood work and all these really big things change super, super fast. So I love those 28 days, um, all on their own because these people are usually people coming to me because they're desperate and they really have tried everything and they care. It's no longer about how they look, it's how they feel. Yeah. And so for them to see those changes so quickly and there aren't all these added crazy things, it's just, you know, taking certain things out and putting others in is pretty awesome. And then past that, what I have is, um, I don't know the conversion. I, I think it's like, it's $29 Canadian. So think about 290 Rand and they can keep me as their coach. That's what they pay monthly. I think 290 Rand. You just move that decimal. Yeah. Well, something like something this. like that. Either way, it's right. <laughs> difficult it's like to work out nowadays with the fluctuations, right? It's like nothing though. And they get to keep me as their coach for the whole rest of the year. So I have loads of those students and they're really cool to watch because, um, they start to play with the, the different variables that you learn in the first 28 days. And it's what you talked about with the meat, for example. So there's certain foods that some people do respond better to others. Certain ones will irritate someone and then be totally fine with someone else. And we work through that process together. Um, So I would say how I made that program really easy is those major eight ones in the beginning, just keeping the fundamentals and then having them continue to work with me and ask me questions at any point in time that they want 
as their journey continues because it doesn't just end at 28 days. Well, see, that, that's what I really like about these philosophies that you have here because even though you're pushing a 28-day thing, that's just to get you in the game. It's all big picture stuff, this. And this is something that people often forget. They go, oh, I'm doing... I often find people saying, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, almost like it's a conversation piece. It's like, okay, cool, <laughs> but what's your real game here? Like, okay, what's, what's the real plan going forward? Because all of these wonderful things are useless if it's just 28 days of your life. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm cool now. Like, you're not. you got to yeah, carry it on. That's right. And then I'll do it again when I fall off again. I'll, yeah, I'll exactly. jump on another 28-day thing. Yeah. But this is quite interesting. And something I've also found as well with a lot of these systems that they're hugely expensive because of all the little add-ons and that kind of stuff. Now, if you were to set up, say, a basic kettlebell home gym kind of thing. Now, right. What you're saying about progress being repetition rather than weights means you don't have to essentially buy a whole bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. So. I mean, I look at my feeble frame at the moment saying, I'm going to get all these different things. Like, what, what would be a, a basic start point for me if I was to get into kettlebells? Now, bear in mind, I weigh 80 kilograms, so it's 170, 180 pounds, moderate strength. Like, like where, would, where would my start point be before I get into anything too advanced here? What would your goals be? Strength gains, size gains? So basically, you I would like to be nice and functionally strong and fit. I'm not looking to build too much muscle because I've come to terms with the fact that's not really my body type. I just want to be a bit stronger and to know that in a better shape, I'm going to have less injuries. Like I feel like if I don't do something, I get injured quickly when I, when I try to train again because I become quite weak. Right. So I'm looking for functional all-around strength here at the moment. Right. So functional all-around strength, looking at you, someone who has an athletic background, you are active still, you are healthy. Um, I would recommend for basic uh, working out at home, someone like you starting with two 8-kilogram bells, two 12-kilogram bells, and then you might want two 16s, and then you can just get one bell, single bell work that's anything heavier than that. So a 24 kilogram and it might sound like a lot. So it's about six, seven bells, but you can literally, I could develop a program with a hundred exercises just from those bells right there. And you could work off that for years. And that's for years, full body, everything. And unlike a lot of other types of equipment, like treadmills and whatnot, kettlebells are indestructible. You're never going to need to replace a kettlebell. So it's a one-time investment as well. That is a good, a good point. This is a little very interesting. I noticed that as a gym owner. Um, yeah, sure. You don't have to fix anything. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, obviously, if you're looking around doing certain cardio, if you like running, you so just carry on doing that. If you like cycling, carry on doing that kind of stuff. This is going to be your basis, so to speak. The other stuff works along with it. With, with kettlebells? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people I train don't touch a kettlebell. So I have body weight programs because I really believe you could be as strong as you want to be, especially if you're talking functional strength by just body weight exercises. So whether it's jump squats or lunges, burpees, push-ups, planking, all kinds of plank variations, you can develop a lot of strength and you can do the cardio, like you said, with going for runs or um, swimming. You can do any type of body weight exercise to get your heart rate up as well. So, um, yeah, I personally, I like to do running and, and cycling and additional exercises like that to my kettlebell lifting. Mm -hmm. And I do think kettlebells are brilliant for everybody of all ages, even, you know, like I've trained kids as young as four years old lifting oh, wow. kettlebells. Oh, they have a blast. They love them. You just give them a really safe, lightweight and, you know, have them almost like Simon says, follow along and, they love that's, it. That's brilliant because, again, you're engaging your entire body. You're not just saying lift that with your arm or pick that up. 
That's really cool. Yeah. Jeff, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time left. Um, this is just flown by. Where can people find you online, contact you? If they do like this kind of stuff and have similar kind of issues that they want to kind of work through, where can people find you? This is your big plug moment, basically. Oh, okay. So um, my website uh, is Jennifer Hintenberger. I'll just spell that H-I-N-T-E-N-B-E-R-G-E-R dot C-O. Uh, and my email would be Jennifer Hintenberger at Gmail dot com. Um, and you're on Instagram. And I'm on Instagram, yes, at Jennifer Hintenberger, of course. Pretty simple. There's nothing extra in there. And I'm on Facebook as well. Fantastic. Well, I mean, we could have spoken about it an hour. We didn't really get into, like, the fact that you're still competing. You say you're about to go to Australia. Yes. Um, okay. I was just in Australia, actually. Uh, I, I was in Australia about four weeks ago. I was in Tasmania and then Gold Coast and then Sydney. And then I just competed in New Zealand. Um, and came back here and then I'm going to head to Melbourne next to compete next Saturday and then Tasmania the next Saturday. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Well, uh, maybe catch up with you some other time then just to get more into that side of things. And of course on Instagram, you do put like posts of that kind of stuff up. Yeah. I post my lifting videos and whatever things that I'm hoping are motivating that day. Okay. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today. Your time has been brilliant. Uh, hopefully very inspiring. Of course, if you are just catching the back end of this live, we will pod, this whole thing will be a podcast and you get all of her details on the bounce of CEO of today. But seeing as, um, she brought up Australians, uh, this is a really great Aussie rules clip. I have to play for you before we run out of time. This is back in the seven, sorry, the eighties back when if you didn't have a mullet, you basically were a whoopsie. Owen gets the ball, chips it up to. 13. That's Angus, I think. Ian Angus, Ian Angus kicks a left foot over to... Hughes. Hughes, who got sent off earlier. Hughes handballs himself to Rickman for his first goal of the day. Yes, that wasn't Billy's fault. No, Billy had to go out, had to meet the player. Such a clever player. Oh, God! Right! Caught! My arms are caught! Round, round the hand pass. Not good enough. Knight, Ricky Knight, got it, and they'll get a goal out of it. This poor umpiring! It was terrible, non-decision. Good play, Hughes in for a goal, and bad umpiring! This poor! And it wasn't the poor... Bad umpiring! Where's that bloke? A common cry from the uh, commentary box there. What's that bloke? Very poor, non-decision. Some easy goals. And the, the, the protection Barry Rand gets from the umpires, I'd say he's a certainty to, has a, yeah. he's a certainty to win the list. Yeah, yeah I, reckon, I reckon he is too. But what a quarter. Okay, don't turn off, uh, uh, Shane, because I think that we've got some real telling comments from the boys in the back. Bruce and uh, Emmett take over. What are your thoughts on the game? And can Springvale win it? I, I suppose you'd have to say in real terms that uh, the game is, in order to score, to get, make up three goals on... Uh, on the veils at this stage, the game has to be beyond the, uh, Williamstown, but uh, you never know. It's a funny thing. They get to uh, get, a, get the first goal on the board. It could be anybody's game. But Graham Dempsey kicks off ground, but Block Mead, who's played a tremendous game and nearly my best player. Oh, he dived on the ball. The guy kicked it out of his hands. That's a free kick. Still chasing. He's still chasing. His shot at goal's through. They don't miss him. They get near him. Oh, that's a lovely goal. Bad decision by the No, no, lovely goal. No, it's a great effort by that particular player. And this game is anybody's. Don't worry about that. Kick forward. Rickman, only a great mark over the back. Good tackle. Slevinson shot at goal. Great smother by Mead for a point. McCormick, good hand pass. Good play. Mendy. Honest has gone to the commentary box. He's kicked it to us. It stayed in over the line. Oh, oh you're oh. you dog. Special comments by the reported player. Very vital time of the season. Get reported too. 
Centre wing. Harder, harder, Down in Clark. Beautifully Clark. down to Hughes. Away. Runs through the pack beautifully, Hughes. Jesus Christ, Sends it forward. Shannon. Shannon well, recovers better. He's got Rickman as an opponent. Pick Thank up you. beautifully by Honest. Into Maloney into the centre. He takes the mark. Jesus great play. Played a great game. He's got Foy. He's, he's got Nampra. Nampra's got he plenty of yards it. and space. He gives he's it back to Maloney. Chip, chip. Chip to oh, Foy. He's out of bounds. It's not on, fellas, at the back. He can't mark. He's got Clarkie in the full pocket. He passes it off to Prosser. Kicks it off the ground. Look at this. Good skills. Kicks it off the ground. Dempster on the balls, won the game. That was no earthquake, that was the commentary well, box. <laughs> Prosser. The commentary box has won the play. Well, Prosser with fantastic <laughs> skills. The crowd has officially roared. Bad no, Dempster, go! Have a rest, son. Glad <laughs> to follow the play. Oh, exactly. Lord. Will not take a mark with Isn't this great? You can listen to these guys all day. This is uh, I've I've probably listened to this clip like two or three times already. These guys are fantastic. It just sounds like a bunch of blokes with a few tinnies in the background. And Aussie Rules is a strange game. I mean, let's make no bones about it. It is very odd. It's kind of like I mean, look, look, look at kangaroos. I mean, there's some strange things in Australia. But Aussie Rules and these guys with these micro shorts, like ultra macho men. And it's just odd. Anyways, um, this is from the VFA footy, the Halcony days. I've cocked that up, but hey, let's carry on. And these guys are a bunch of legends. And like, you wonder, how did Pinot Noir and Chardonnay ever come into this country when you watch these blokes running around? I mean, that's just the height of just blokeness. It's brilliant. So this um, show has gotten away from me a little bit. I do apologize. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just so great to chat to people like Jennifer who are doing such great things. You know, she travels the world, hey, like literally. She was just telling me now while I was saying goodbye, the different countries that she's going to be in for between now and the rest of the year is insane how kettlebell sports is like a real big deal. And I mean, she really is. She's become quite the impressive uh, kettlebell sports person and she's achieved so much. I mean, she's got world records in so many different sort of things. You must go to her site, check out the stuff. I think it could be something that you can really, really get into. Uh, just to wrap up quickly, um, Super Rugby from the weekend, this coming weekend now, we've got some really great matches up. I still can't believe the Crusaders are unbeaten. You look at that team, there's a team without any real big stars. The stars that they do have aren't even playing. I mean, there's no, there's no Reed, Whitelock, uh, Dag. These guys are all out. Plus, you've got the fact that there's no one else post that. But they beat the Hurricanes, uh, last weekend, staying beaten this week. So Friday, tomorrow, 9.35, they've got the Chiefs in Hamilton. Uh, I think they're playing in Hamilton's. It's the Chiefs home game. So the Chiefs, no one's kind of really been making a lot of noise about them, but they're still very much there, thereabouts as one of the top teams. Uh, they lost the Stormers, but I think that was it. They beat the Hurricanes already. They're playing the Crusaders, 9.35 Friday. Huge match that one. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Yes, I know. I'm going to go against the Crusaders two weeks going. I'm going for them. Stormers versus the Blues. Sonny Bill is playing for the Blues. That would be a big draw card in Newlands. Uh, Stormers have a much better side this time around. They've got some players coming back. Damon Allen is back. Uh, Ibn Elizabeth, Peter Stetter-Toy is back. Francois Herb is back. Like, it's, it's a much better team. So I reckon the Stormers can get back to winning ways. 7 o'clock Friday night. 
And then Saturday, we've got the Hurricanes versus Cheetahs, 9.35. Can't see the Cheetahs doing anything other than getting a hammering there. Then the Force versus the Highlanders, 11.45. Same, I think, the relatively tight, this one. Force had a good win last week, but together with the travel and the fact that the Highlanders uh, are pretty decent. Uh, 11.45 Saturday, look for the Highlanders to win that one. Sunbulls versus the Sharks. The Sharks, well, they lost the Kings last week. No Lambie. Um, there's no Cohen Bosch either. So it's a very inexperienced backline. It's got to do the goods there, but they should be too strong for the Sunwolves. Uh, 1.55 Saturday afternoon, that one is in Singapore. Then the Lions versus the Bulls. I think Lions going to take that one. That's at quarter past five on Saturday. And then the Kings versus the Brumbies. Final match on Saturday. Kings with some big injuries, unfortunately. Clutty in particular. I mean, that guy's been an absolute powerhouse all over the play for the Kings. He's out for the weekend. Brumbies are going to be favorites for that one. 7.30 in PE. And then Sunday, Waratahs versus the Rebels. Five minutes past eight. That's it. I've got to wrap it up from here. All the other things I want to talk about, if you go on to the bounce.ca.za, there's an article about um, gay footballers in the Premier League and if that'll ever be a reality. And of course, there's a big Super Rugby preview and a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, next week, it'll be a bit more chilled out as far as we can catch up with a lot more sports. But thanks for joining me this week. Everything else, catch me on the morning here on Cliff Central on the Gareth Cliff Show. Uh, six until nine. I do a daily sports recap from around six thirty. Otherwise, follow me at Follow the Bounce on Twitter and all the other usual stuff. Have a look around the bounce. The there. there. Plug, plug, plug. I'm actually going to start pre-recording these plugs because I'm just so bloody terrible at it. But anyway, thank you for joining me this week. I hope you have a great weekend of sport. Cliffcentral.com.